Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Guiding Truth series, which is based out of 1 Timothy. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God impacted you through these messages. This morning, we're going to get right back into our series, Guiding Truths, and getting into 1 Timothy chapter number 5. And uh, if you are a parent here, then you know the sounds, or if, if you, even if you have siblings or, well, even if you just are breathing today, then you know the sounds of what we call sibling arguments. Siblings that just don't get along. How many of you grew up with a sibling? Raise your hand. You grew up with a sibling. How many of you, be honest, you argued with that sibling? Do you still argue? Okay, good. Uh, You know what? If you think about it, we all could probably point out uh, sibling arguments. And if you grew up in a home like ours, um, of course, my sisters were older than I am. Um, and so I would always, I, I say this often, I was raised with three mothers. I really didn't have siblings, just my mom and then my two sisters that were moms like my mom because they bossed me around all the time. I still have emotional scars. <laughs> still have to go to counseling. I still deal with some repercussions of that. But you know what? <laughs> you just make fun of me? Man. With sibling rivalry and sibling arguments, man, every home that has siblings in it is affected by it. And if you were like ours, uh, there would be times when we would get in an argument and my mom would stop us and she would say, now, Dennis, you can't argue with Dina like that. Just, you can't say those things. Dennis, I want you, I want you to say one nice thing about your sister. Just, Dennis, give me one nice thing. I like it when she leaves. <laughs> no, Dennis, that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to say one nice thing. Listen, how many of you had a mom or dad that they would do that? They would make you say something nice. Or, or there's the, you know, write 10 things, right? You know, if you say one mean thing, you gotta write 10 nice things about your sibling or maybe a classmate. You know, the whole reason that a parent would do that and now you parents maybe do that with your kids, the whole reason is to help change perspective. I wanna change your thinking. I wanna help you stop looking at the negative. Isn't it easy to find negative? Man, you can find the negative with everybody, especially your siblings. At least I can, I can find the negative about them all day long. It's easy to find the negative, but sometimes we need to change that and we need to find the positive. And a parent will Try to institute that. Try to kind of uh, spark that, if you will. Try to help that along by saying, all right, give me one nice thing about your sibling. What are they trying to do? Well, most of the time, parents are trying to help you, and they, they might even say it. I'm just trying to help you get along. <laughs> Listen, you are siblings. Can't you just get along? I mean, you only have one brother, one sister. You only have, listen, if you grow up in a family with like 12, there's only, there's only 11 of you. There's only 11 others. Now, with us, it was, it was Dennis, you only have two sisters. You need to get along with them. They're family. And why would a mom and dad try to do that? Well, because they want us to understand the importance of belonging to a family, Amen. Right? When you and I come to 1 Timothy in chapter number five, we're coming into Paul writing to Timothy 
about this idea of getting along, the importance of family. He's coming in, and if you've been with us in our series, then you'll remember Paul writing to Timothy, and we'll, we'll recap it in just a second. But he's coming into a part of the scripture where he's helping Timothy understand this. Hey, Timothy, when people trust Christ, some things happen. They're given a new family, the church of God. They're given some new, a new regard, new way to view the family. And they're given some new responsibilities. And Timothy, I wanna help you as a young pastor, I wanna help you help your church get along. And so this morning, I want you to take your Bible with me, 1 Timothy chapter five, and let's stand. We're gonna read the first 20 verses of 1 Timothy five, and we're gonna listen in as Timothy, as Paul helps Timothy understand this idea of getting along and how it's gonna help us as well. 1 Timothy chapter five, beginning in verse number one, we read these words. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren and the elder women as mothers and the younger as sisters with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth in God, and can uh, continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge, that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. If she have been brought, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have uh, diligently followed every good work, but the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies and speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward." Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. All right, be honest. We just read those 20 verses. Let's be honest this morning. How many of you would say, those are kind of confusing? Okay, listen, when we read these verses, it can be super confusing. We're gonna go through and just kind of get a synopsis of all of it. We really can't dig into everything. But the synopsis is simply this. In the family of God, you're given new relationships, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're given a new regard, a new way to view life and people, and you're given a new responsibility, the responsibility of helping take care of the leadership and of the leadership leading the church. 
That's all here, but it's all just about the family of God, the church of God, simply getting along. Man, aren't you thankful that God desires that we would get along? Man, there's so much in the word of God that'll help us with this today. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into the word of God this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just commit the time to the Lord and ask him to speak to you today. Ask God to help you this morning to show you areas of your Christianity where you haven't been getting along with others. And ask God to speak to your heart personally today. Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the word of God. And we pray this morning that you would help us as we get into your word, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that, uh, Lord, your spirit would have uh, freedom to work. And, Lord, we pray and commit this time to you, uh, God, that you'd help us to learn the lesson of getting along. And, Father, we love you. Thanks for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Of course, Paul wrote this book. <coughs> excuse me, wrote this book to Timothy. Timothy, the young pastor there at the church at Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Uh, uh, if you've been with us in our series, you'll recall that it was Acts chapter 19 that Paul would travel into Ephesus and begin uh, the church there. And uh, of course, he would begin seeing people saved and discipling people. And uh, he would face persecution and be challenged to leave because Paul and uh, the, the cause of Jesus Christ was attacking the uh, worship of the goddess, of Di the goddess Diana. You'll remember that there was... Uh, um, the silversmiths in Acts 19, that they got kind of in an uproar. And they were in an uproar because the, the one silversmith got up and said, hey, listen, uh, not only is the goddess Diana uh, under attack, but our very livelihood is under attack because they were the ones who were making the little shrines and all of that. And, and so they began to push uh, uh, Paul and the apostle, or Paul and the, the uh, followers of Jesus, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they begin to kind of push them out. And so Paul, he determines to uh, leave a good testimony there. And so he, he just stands up for the Lord, stands up for Christ, makes a stand for the name of God. And, and then he says, all right, now I'm going to move on. And Paul leaves, Acts 19, Paul leaves Ephesus and he leaves behind Timothy. Of course, Timothy, this godless culture, this culture that's worshiping uh, knowledge and this culture that's worshiping the goddess Diana, this goddess of sensuality, uh, this is the culture Timothy's ministering to. And so Timothy, really, uh, I just kind of see Timothy as a young man thinking, all right, man, God's got this. I can see Timothy kind of maybe every now and then getting a little discouraged, but probably keeping the faith and saying, no, my God is able I know that God can do this. And maybe he'd get discouraged, but something would come. Maybe Titus would send a letter and Timothy would read that letter and say, oh man, God's using Titus. God can use me. God, God's gonna do a great work at Ephesus. And I can kind of see Timothy as a young man with a little bit of fire to him. But you pass two or three or four years and I see Timothy with that fire. He's still got that fire, but it's, it's kind of dwindled just a touch. Maybe he's just faced some hardships. Maybe he's wondering, man, are the people of Ephesus ever, are they ever gonna really get it? Like, are they ever gonna really change? It begins maybe wondering those things. Well, Paul put upon, or God put upon Paul's heart to write Timothy. And the reason Paul wrote to Timothy was the message we preached on our anniversary Sunday was 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. Hey, I'm writing this to you because I wanna come to you but if I don't make it when I do, I'm writing so that you will know that you are the pillar and the ground of truth and that you need to continue 
and that that truth is the risen Savior. And Timothy, I'm writing to you to help you understand that God has given you some guiding truths to help you live a godly life in a godless culture. That's what the whole book of 1 Timothy is about, living a godly life in a godless culture. I can see Timothy cracking that, that letter open, that scroll, and he begins to read. And in those guiding truths, you'll remember, if you were here, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said, hey, Timothy, God's grace and mercy is real. Timothy, God, is, God can really work. He says, I thank God through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and uh, was injurious against the cause of Christ, who before was one that persecuted the living God, and yet God used my life as an example, 1 Timothy 1.16, he used my life as an example to show mercy and patience and long-suffering. Timothy, God's grace and God's mercy it really works. Man, what an awesome thought. Isn't it good to know that you're never too far for God's grace to reach you? God's enabling strength. Man, what a great thought. Timothy continues reading. He reads about the importance of being in the word of God. Timothy, I want to give you the guiding truth. If you don't stay in the word, you're not gonna be effective in your faith. He reads about the importance of a, the office of a pastor, a leader, and a deacon, 1 Timothy 3. Timothy, I wanna give you some requirements, bud. You need to know how to live, and what we learned that a few weeks ago was if it's good for the leadership, it's good for all of us. And it's good for everyone to follow the Lord and be close to him. And then we were in last week, the end of 1 Timothy chapter number four, and we discovered some thoughts about uh, uh, um, 1 Timothy uh, 4.16. Paul said, take heed to yourself. Remember he said, hey, Timothy, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna use your life and your influence the way God wants you to, then you need to take heed to yourself. Take heed that you are leading the way God wants you to and that you are learning the word of God and that, that you also are looking after, looking after your testimony. And Timothy, make sure that you're continuing to love God like you should. But then as you move into chapter number five, we find Timothy, or we find Paul again, helping Timothy understand that when a person receives Jesus Christ, there are some adjustments and some things that need to change in their life. And Paul, he writes to him to help him with that phrase, just get along. Before I wanna get in, before I get into this this morning, I want, us to, I want to say that one of the reasons that I believe Paul would take time to write to Timothy about the relationships of people within the church, I believe it's because on Paul's mind would be these verses. Jesus said this in John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. Now he's speaking to the disciples, to followers of Jesus. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And watch this, by this, by what's this, by this type of love, by this demonstration of love, by this love towards each other, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if 
you continue in my love. I want us to understand this morning as we get into the message because the whole message will not make sense unless we, unless we build this foundation stone right here that the truth of the matter is that God is very interested in believers, those who know Jesus as Savior or claim to know him as Savior. God desires that we, the family of God, would get along. Now I'm scared. Okay, okay. <sighs> started my, my temperature started going up right there. I don't know. Man, God desires that we would get along. He desires that we, there would not be disputes, right? You go th all throughout the word of God. Hey, put away murmuring and disputing amongst each other. Hey, put away gossiping and lying against your brother. All of those things are just built upon that principle of by this, by this type of love, shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And so Paul, he's writing to Timothy about this, saying, hey, Timothy, now that you're in the family of God, if you're going to use your influence, all right, every one of us, we know we're given influence. If you're going to really be effective and influence others the way that God wants you to, then Timothy, there's some things you need to know that'll help you get along. Now, let's be honest. It's not easy always to get along, is it? I mean, if you have siblings, you know that. But then you bring in any new relationship takes work so that you get along. Any new relationship, whether that's a new child in the family, maybe it's a new spouse, those of you that remember getting married. Now listen, I, I, married, I married an angel, but she had to work to get along with me because I'm a loser. Son, you're not supposed to say amen to that. <laughs> what I'm getting at is in any, in any new relationship, it takes work to get along, whether that's a marriage, whether that's a new child, whether that's a new coworker, a new neighbor, there's just personalities that are there and there's a lot of, of different conflicting opinions and all of that stuff. And so we have to understand that in the church, it is the same. It takes some work to get along. It takes some work uh, to be able to understand each other. And Paul is writing to say, I want to give you three thoughts that if you will work on these things, it will help you get along. You have to understand some things. And so Paul writes first, I want you to understand that when you got saved, when you got saved, you were given, first of all, what we're calling new relationships. You were given new relationships. Look at verse one and verse number two. Paul says this. First uh, Timothy 5, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. I want to tell you real quick, as you look at this, uh, the, the phrasing here, we have to kind of follow Paul's order of thought. When you look at the word um, entreat, the word entreat here, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him that word entreat would actually carry through to each one of these people. So you entreat an elder man, you entreat an elder woman, you entreat a younger man, you entreat a younger woman. The word entreat, it means to bring alongside. It means to make an encouragement. It means to Literally, the phrasing would be to call to one side, hey, come here. That's, that's the word entreat. Hey, come over here. 
Remember playing, playing with your friends and, hey, guys, come here, come here. Why are you doing that? I want you to come over and be by me. We're all part of this. Be on my team. Hey, come on over here. So here's what Paul is saying in, this, in these verses. Paul is encouraging Timothy to understand that when you and I receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we are brought into, we are brought into the family of God. And what we are supposed to do is bring alongside us the family of God. Okay, now here's what it says. Rebuke not an elder man, an elder, but entreat him as a father. Bring him alongside you as a father. <clears throat> First of all, we treat the elders, the elders that it's talking about here, is it, it's not talking about the same elders that we read about in, the, in chapter three. This isn't talking about pastors and leadership. This is talking about older men. Okay, so anybody in here that has an older, a man in the church that's older than them, the encouragement from Paul to Timothy is you need to treat the older men like a respected father. That's the wording. Treat him like a respected father. Now, there's a little, there's, there's some disagreements about why Paul would write this and all of that, but here's the thought. During this day, there were two views about old men, okay? The first view was, well, yeah, they know a lot, but they just don't get the times. They know a lot, but they just don't get the times. The second view was this one over here that was, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know anything. They don't know the times. They don't know knowledge. They don't know life experience. They're just viewed as old. Okay, so what would happen was rebuking. Okay, the word rebuke to snip at, to say, oh, no, I, don't, I disagree with you. So what would happen is this group over here that has a little bit of knowledge but just doesn't understand the times, a young person would say, dad, grandpa, listen, I, I know what you're thinking, but that is so out of date. That, listen, you're so out of touch with what's taking place in, you know, 65 AD. You're from like, dad, when were you born? Like zero AD? <sighs> That's what they would, that was a rebuke. But then this side, they would just say, you old fool. You don't even know what you're talking about. And here's what Paul's coming along and saying. No, in the family of God, rebuke not an elder. Hey, don't sit and try to condemn them. No, but instead call them along as an encouraging father. Now, I don't know what your relationship is with your, father, your earthly father, and so you might have a bad perspective. Well, man, I wouldn't want to call someone along as an, as an encouraging father. My dad and I did not get along. My dad, maybe you were raised in an abusive home or a verbally abusive. I don't know what your case was, but the, the father here is it's, it's almost picturing like your heavenly father. Bring them alongside you as an encouraging, encouraging um, personification of your heavenly father. Man, what a good thought. God's saying, hey, I'm putting someone there. Entreat them. Call them. Hey, hey, Glenn, come on over. We're together in this. We're going to be an encouragement to each other. I want you to encourage me like a, 
older father would, to call to one side. All right, what's the next one? Look at the next. Verse number one, look at it, it says, rebuke not, an el- rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and, remember that word entreat, you could almost insert that there, and entreat the younger men as brethren. All right, the elder men bring them along as an encouraging father. The younger men bring them along as an encouraging brother. Treat them like you would your own brother. Well, I got that one down. I'll pick on them, make fun of them, put them in their place. I don't think that's what Paul meant. No, entreat them, bring them alongside you as an encouraging brother. Now, I won't pick on anybody this morning and and say anything, but it's no secret that Brother Dan and I have grown up and and been very close friends our entire lives. And uh, of course, my brother died when I was six years old. And uh, man, I remember the situation. I've I've talked about that before and remember going through that. And so I, I can't tell you what it's like to have a brother, to grow up with a brother. The closest thing I have is Dan. That's the closest thing I have. And I can tell you, and again, I'm not, I would not say this to build him up or anything, but you know what? There are times in my life that I remember being able to call Daniel Blim and say, man, I just need you. I just need a friend right now. I just need someone to talk to me right now. And there's been times, I, I think he could say this, there's been times when he's called me and, hey, I just need you. I just need to talk to you. Like, and even though he has a brother who's younger, but just because of that relationship, you know what? There are times, and, and everybody, you probably have friends like that, and I have other very close friends. I think of our staff as very close friends and many men in our church that I could call. But that, that, this is what Paul is getting at, is, hey, listen, you can... The, the, the other men of the church bring them alongside you as a brother, as an encouragement, as somebody that's going to be with you through thick and thin, right? The Bible says that a friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. I used to think that verse meant friends love and brothers fight. That's, seriously, that's what I thought that verse meant. I was like, a friend loveth at all times. Man, yeah, we're good friends. A brother's born for adversity, man. I'm Maybe I'm thankful I don't have a brother, you know, because we'd be fighting all the time. That's not what it means. A friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for thick and thin. A brother is born for the adversity. That when times when friends bail, the brother is there. Here's what Paul is writing in the church of Timothy. When you got saved, entreat, bring alongside you the, the older men as an encouraging father And bring the younger men, bring them alongside you as an encouraging brother. Man, be a brother in Christ. Encouragement. All right, what's next? Well, he says, then, and treat the elder women as mothers. Man, bringing the elder women alongside you to comfort you and to help you as a mother would her children. Allow, this is Paul writing to Timothy, allow the older women of the church to become like a helping mother in your life. Not a cranky mom, an encouraging mom. Say, Pastor, you just had that for humor. A little bit, but I'm serious. I'm so thankful that I grew up with a mom. Now, my mom has her cranky days. But I'm thankful that my mom, you know what? She constantly does. She constantly says, even today, I love you, son, and I'm praying for you today. I'm, I'm here, I'm praying for you. Listen, Paul's writing to Timothy. He's saying, all of you, if you have a, a, a woman in the church that's older than you, treat her like an encouraging mother. How do you treat an encouraging mother? You're endearing to them. 
You listen to them. You give them entrance into your life. You give them vocalization into your heart. You understand that maybe a little bit of what they have to say might be coming from a different perspective, but it's there to help you. That's, a, that's an encouraging mom. He says, bring the, bring the elder women alongside. Allow them to comfort you, encourage you. Allow them to depend upon you. We'll see more about that in a second. Allow the older women to have influence into your life like a loving mother would in her own child's life. And then he says to treat the younger women and treat them as sisters, and treat them as sisters. <clears throat> but then he adds something on this one. He says, with all purity. Paul's encouragement about the young women was twofold, and I want us to get context because when we get context, this is an awesome verse, and it's an awesome picture of grace. Okay, Ephesus, worship of the goddess of Diana, the goddess of sensuality. In the, in the temple that Artemis would have been in, there would have been times um, like, um, like in Corinth at the uh, um, Areopagus, there would be times when there would be probably up near a thousand prostitutes inside of that temple. Okay, insert Acts 19. Paul comes in, he's preaching Jesus. We know from what, are you still with me? We know from what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus that a lot of the people who were saved were saved out of the pagan worship. That includes many of those prostitutes and many of the people who used to indulge in the prostitution. Paul says in Ephesians, such were some of you, and he lists a bunch of sins, and in that is the sin of fornication and the sins of lasciviousness and different sensual sins. Paul says, hey, you got saved out of that. So now in the church, follow it, in the church, there are ladies who used to be prostitutes. And there are people who used to indulge in that idolatrous worship and those different acts. And so now you have Paul writing and he says, all right, treat the elder men as an encouraging father. The elder women as encouraging mothers. The, the, the men that are around your age, treat them as, as brothers, encouraging brothers. And the young women, treat them as sisters, oh, by the way, and have pure thoughts about them. Well, why would he write that? Because of the context of the culture. Now, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but there would be, within the church at Ephesus, there would be people who engaged in fornication and, and fornicating activities that were not married, but now go to the same church as each other. And Paul says, this is gonna blow your mind. When you're born into the family of God, it literally changes, and you now have brothers and sisters in Christ and you need to call them alongside you to encourage them, but you need to make sure that you're thinking right about them. Think right about them. And pure thoughts don't just deal with the physical uh, attributes. Pure thoughts deal with, hey, I'm not gonna get bitter with you. I'm not gonna get angry at you. I'm not gonna be contentious with you. I'm not gonna gossip about you. Why? Because I'm thinking pure thoughts. Isn't the word of God awesome when you understand it in context? 
man, I was reading this and I'm like, all right, why did Paul, why did he add that about the young women? And then I just started studying and I'm like, wow. You get all of this and in all of it, Paul is simply saying, hey, listen, when you got saved, you got some new relationships. It's called the family of God. So live like the family of God. Man, live like siblings. <clears throat> live like parents and children. And I, I would tell you that I, I believe in this context, in this passage is also this challenge that yes you, yes, you and I are supposed to bring others alongside us and encourage them to, uh, the older men to be fathers and the mothers to be moms and uh, the older women to be moms and the, the men to be siblings or brothers and the sisters. And we get that. They're supposed to call people alongside us. But can I ask you this? Are you worthy to be called alongside somebody else? Like we look at it and think, okay, I need to call people alongside me. But are you worthy to be called alongside somebody? What do I mean by that? Are you, are you walking with God? Because truly the only, incur, like, the only way that Brother Glenn can really encourage me in my walk with God is if Glenn is walking with God himself. The only way that can, I can really uh, call Gordon alongside me to be the encouraging father figure is if Brother Gordon is walking with God. The only way I can, uh, I can, I can call on Brother Danny to be like a, a father or a brother that's walking alongside me is if he is walking with God. You see, there is so many applications and so many challenges in this thought, but here's what Paul is getting at. One once you trust Christ, you get the family of God. And isn't it the truth that the family of God, the church, often is closer than our very own blood family? That is so true. And that is the way that God has designed it. God has said, I'm bringing alongside you people to help you and encourage you and strengthen you. What you need to do is tap into that. Amen. Don't try to live Christianity as an island unto yourself. No, get some brothers and sisters to bring alongside you, but then you, you need to walk with God yourself so that you're worthy of being an encouragement to somebody else. You see, we often have the perspective of, man, there's no one to encourage me. Yeah, pastor preached about bringing brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I just don't have anybody. They just don't treat me right. Maybe it's because you're not walking with God and you're not joining yourself up to be an encouragement to somebody. Man, it's all about... Right, that perspective. Paul's trying to change perspective here. Help us understand. You're given new relationships. We could go through and talk about every one of these. I don't have time to do it, but we need to be, we need to be living like the family of God. Living like the family of God. Man, understanding the relationships that God brings in is that older men, that you would invest in those younger than you. Amen. Older women, that you would comfort and encourage those younger than you. Men, young men, maybe between 20 to, to 50 years old, man, that you'd be like a brother to others, encouraging them and working with them and always looking to build them up, talking about them and blessing them. And young women, maybe 20 to 30 years old or, or 20 to 50 years old, 50 and younger, man, that you'd be like a, a sister, and I thank God for my sisters. I know I tease about them, but I, I really do have a great relationship with all, with both of them and their families. And my sisters are nothing but a blessing to me. Have there been times where they're not a blessing? Yes. Will there still be times? Yes. But I can tell you right now, my sister Dawn this week, you know what she did? She, she texted me this week as I was in DC. She texted me multiple times, just, hey, hey Dennis, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm proud of you and I love you. Man, that's a sister that says, I just want to invest in my brother. 
That's what the family's supposed to be. And I wonder, who are you investing in? Who are you allowing to invest in your life? Paul says you're given new relationships, but notice, secondly, if we're going to get along, we've got to understand that there's a new regard. We have a new regard. What's the new regard? A new way to view some things. Now, I do not have the time this morning to preach all of these verses, so we're going to summarize some things, okay? Verse 3, down through verse number uh, 16. Yeah, verse 3, down through verse number 16 Paul, he's simply helping these believers understand, and he's going to spend some time writing specifically about the care of the widows in the church and the widow's responsibilities before God. That's what Paul writes about. He's going to turn and spend some time writing about the care of the widows and the widow's responsibility. Basically, in these verses, Paul helps point out that widows, and and this I'm giving you a summary, Widows that do not have family that could help take care of them, the church needs to step in and help take care of them. It doesn't mean the church meets every need. It just means that the church is there to help take care of some needs, to help relieve some pressure to help lead her. I think, of, I think of some of our widows, and I would not pinpoint them out, but uh, you know who you are, and, and we know who some of them are. You know what? As a church, there have been times when we've tried to help out and help uh, maybe a Mrs. Honeycutt. I'll, I'll pick on Mrs. Honeycutt because she picks on me all the time. Uh, but maybe we'll, you know what, when, pa- when, when Pastor Honeycutt, when Brother Don Honeycutt passed away a number of years ago, uh, boy, I remember we sat down and I said, Mrs. Honeycutt, Mrs. Honeycutt. And at the time, Bonnie wasn't living here. So it was just Mrs. Honeycutt. She had no family nearby. And we as a church, we said, what can we do to help you? And we would send some people over to uh, shovel the walks, I think, in a few times. And of course, your neighbors take care of that now, but really tried to step in. What can we do? How can we provide? How can we help you? And praise the Lord, Don set her up and, and did well with, with that. And now Bonnie is living here. And so that's what, what Paul is getting at. If there's someone that's a widow that doesn't have family, the church should help take care of that. If they have family, the family should take care of it. That's verse eight. If any provide not for his own family, he's worse than an infidel. <laughs> Saying, hey, if you don't take care of your own family, come on, what are you doing? This is, that's what he's getting at. You're, you're denying, you're, or you're, you're like denying the faith in your actions. And that's verse eight. A lot of people like to say, well, verse eight's just about everybody. And the, the principle is there, right? The principle's in, in uh, uh, Proverbs about everyone should work and provide for themselves. And man, there's a whole nother message. Don't mooch off the government. There's a whole other message. Don't mooch off the church. There's a, whole, there's a bunch of messages about that, right? Provide for your own family. Now, if there's disabilities and things of that nature, okay, well, that's a different message. Man, now I'm getting way off track. <laughs> but in these verses, verse three through verse number 16, it's about the widows, And then he changes the subject to young widows. He says, if there's a young widow that comes in that's 60 years old or younger and only been married once, man, if if she's still able to have children, she should look to get married again. Well, why? Well, Paul said, because she should try to invest. Now, some of you are like, well, 60, that's a little high. I mean, the children thing stops at like, like 40. But here's what Paul, this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying, listen, I'm trying to give you some guidelines to understand this. And this is where I'm going with the whole thought. Now that you're saved, don't just think about you. You need to look outside of you. Think about others. Think about the widows that need help. Think about the young widows that need some encouragement that are hurting, but they're faithful 
And Paul, this whole thing, and again, I cannot unpack everything that's here. It would be a, it'd be a, this would be a whole series in and of itself. I could preach for four weeks on it. I'm not going to, though. But here's what could happen. As a believer, often we trust Christ, and then we allow our old sinful thoughts, me, 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 to consume us. And this is what Paul is getting at. Once you're in the family of God, you need to look beyond you. It's selflessness. That's what Paul's addressing here. Have a new regard. Think about other people differently. Once you come to know Christ as Savior, God desires to use us to look past ourselves. Man, look past you. And the fact of the matter is this, that Bible Christianity seeks to live selflessly or seeks to live selfless. Didn't Jesus set the example for us? Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You think about even our theme verses that we have for the year. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Man, look beyond you. Again, as Paul is writing to them, and I really wish we could go through it and look at all of these verses, but the principle is help provide for other people that are in need. That's the principles, especially those who are widows, especially those who truly have the need. But can I tell you, I wish we could unpack this for the rich. Also in these verses is this. If you think you're in need, but you're really not, you're taking advantage of God's church and God will judge that. It's deep. It's big. Because aren't there people, and if you, you can ask any of the staff, aren't there people that come to the church constantly and they go, well, we, we just don't have any money and we, we need the church to help us with some financial aid. And out in the car, by the way, the 2017 truck <laughs> that's out there, she comes in and the husband's still sitting out there just smoking cigarettes, have a 12-pack of soda sitting right there, a brand-new TV in the back. You say, really, this happens? Yeah, people come, and they're really not in need. They're just trying to get a handout. Okay, people outside the walls do that, but we need to be careful because sometimes as a church, we try to do that too. You say, what do you mean? There's times when we think... <laughs> God's just not meeting any of my needs and, and, and we just get all worked up and we come and we say, Pastor, I, I, listen, I, I made this decision and I need money. I need to get out of this because I need money and I need this and I need that. When, are there times when we really do need it? Yes. But before I ask, I should pray and seek God. God, is this something that is really a need or is this something because of my own financial bad stewardship? that you're gonna allow me to walk through. You say, pastor, that's kind of harsh. No, that's the Bible. And in the verses, in the verses, 
Paul writes to Timothy, there's going to be people that take advantage of it. God will deal with them. God will deal with it. So you know what that helps me understand? Helps me check my own heart. Man, before I begin asking for help, check my own heart. Why am I doing this? But then the main application is, if you know Christ, look beyond you. Man, look to be an encouragement to other people. Look to be selfless. Look to help those widows that are in need. Just have that new regard, that new way of viewing. So we're given a new relationship. We're given a new regard. Then lastly, we're given new responsibility. We're given new responsibility. Notice verse 17. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn and the laborers worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke uh, before all that others also may fear. In these verses, Paul helps this young pastor and these believers know how to take care of the man of God. And first, if you look at verse number 17, Paul talks about taking care of the financial needs of the pastor. Paul told Timothy to be sure that the leaders were paid adequately on the basis of their ministries and saying, hey, if they labor in the word and in doctrine, then they're worthy of double honor. And he quoted the Old Testament law of Deuteronomy chapter 25 uh, regarding this. And then he, this uh, passage is also addressed in 1 Corinthians 7, or 1 Corinthians 9, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 9.14 says this, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Paul says the laborer is worthy of his reward. As a common saying, but in this day, here's what Paul is helping the church at Ephesus understand. Church at Ephesus, if Timothy is laboring in the word and in prayer, if Timothy is putting in the work, church at Ephesus, you should take care of Timothy. Now, at Moses Lake Baptist, I understand. I'm the pastor. Pastor, are you preaching about yourself? Right now I am, yes. But here's what, this is the Bible. It says this, that a church who has a pastor that's feeding and leading and working to, now, it doesn't say he has to be perfect because that would disqualify me, certainly, and every pastor. But it says if they're leading and they're doing it well, they're worthy of double honor. Now, the phrase double honor it just me. It means they're worthy of good. They're worthy of good pay. That's what's basically what it means. They're worthy to be taken care of. Take care of the financial needs. Well, Pastor, why is that important? That's important for a number of reasons, and I won't. I won't get into all of it this morning. Like I said, we kind of took all of our time on the first point, which I believe is the most important one. But what we need to see is that if a pastor cannot fully pastor the church. Can't fully be, now are there pastors who work a job and pastor? Yes, they're called bivocational pastors and I have so much respect for them. I have friends who literally work two to three jobs to pastor in, in smaller communities and Hannah's dad for years worked multiple jobs while pastoring and building the church. But once a church gets to the point where they can take care of their pastor, they should. Why? Because then he is able to invest in the church. Now, does that mean that he becomes the hired servant of everybody in the church? No. He's the under-shepherd to lead the church, and he should lead the church according to the word of God. And there are men and things in, within the church that help keep that in check, but what we need to see and understand is that the church's responsibility is to take care of the pastor. 
Well, why? So that we as a church can continue moving forward. There's, there's a lot here that, that we, we really could continue with. But Paul helps understand this. He says, hey, and he uses the Old Testament. Uh, I gotta read it. Verse number 18. Look what Paul says. He says, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. All right, there's an analogy for you. It's like calling the pastor the, the, the ox. That's a new nickname. I had a friend in college. We called him Ox. His name was Jason. We called him Ox. So I don't know. Maybe he, he didn't go on to be a pastor, so I don't know where we got that. But anyway, uh, it says, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the thought here, you follow it. The thought is uh, putting an ox in to do the feed and, and with the, uh, um, the rotation of the... Uh, the grinders and different things. And if you muzzle the ox and they're not able to eat, I mean, it's, it's not gonna work. That's basically the thought. And then you look at the next part, the laborer is worthy of his hire or worthy of his reward. So all of this is just saying, hey, and, and there's a challenge for pastors here too. Here's the challenge Paul's given to Timothy. Timothy, lead. Timothy, be worthy of it. Timothy, don't just think. I was talking with uh, our congressman this week and he said, um, we were at an event with him yesterday, and he said to me, he was like, man, it's, it's Saturday night. He said, you're, a, you're one day of work's coming up soon. <laughs> and I looked at him, I was like, yeah. I said, man, I tell you, I, I don't even know how I'm going to get through tomorrow. I was like, the last six days being, I said, you know, being three of the days in D.C., I said, that, that about killed me. Man, I've had to work four days this week, like being in meetings and stuff. And I'm only used to one. I said, I, psh, I can't even, I, I don't even, I, I can't stay up late tonight, you know, and we were joking about it. You know what? There's a lot of people, and he was kidding about it as well. There's a lot of people that say, oh, well, a pastor just works one day a week. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are some pastors that do only work one day a week. Here's where Paul's challenge to Timothy comes in. Timothy, don't be that pastor. Like Timothy, work. That was chapter three, right? Uh, Your desireth a good work. We already preached that. Do I need to preach it again? I don't. Timothy, work, but church, take care of Timothy. But then Paul also addresses dealing with the sin of a leader. Look at verse 19. Notice verse number 19 because Paul says this. He says, against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. Verse 20, them that sin, re- then that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Now, man, I want to apologize to you. I think we bit off more than we can handle all today, but I see the time. We're good. I'll be done in nine minutes, all right? (laughs) You listen fast. I'll preach fast. Here's what we have to understand. Paul, he says in verse 19, um, there's going to be complaints against the pastor. (laughs) That's true. There are complaints against the pastor. But Timothy and church at Ephesus you need to make sure there's witnesses about the complaints. Case in point, my dad, years ago, I think I've told this story before. On a Sunday morning, my dad was walking in the church. He had his hands filled with a bunch of stuff and he had a pin in his hand that he could not put in his pocket because he had keys. And so he quickly grabbed the pin with his mouth and took the keys and unlocked the door with that pin just, just in his mouth, right? Someone drove by the church And that day at church, someone came and said, Pastor, I saw you smoking this morning. You were smoking when you were unlocking the church. And my dad's like, what are you talking about? 
pastor, you were smoking, I know it, and begin to really just attack my dad. And my dad's like, what in the world? And then finally like, oh, I know what I did. Like, I put the pin in and the whole situation got ironed out. But here's a person attacking. Here's what what Paul's saying. Timothy, there's gonna come times when accusations come, but church at Ephesus, don't listen to the accusations unless there's multiple witnesses. Well, isn't that just kind of common sense? I mean, in your life as well. Man, in my life, your life, that's our lives. However, verse 20, if there is a sin, Timothy, church at Ephesus, if there is a sin in one of the leaders, you need to openly call it out. Why? The word rebuke, listen, it's a great word. The word rebuke, it means for restoration. What Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about disqualifying sins like adultery and, and things like that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, man, if, if a pastor's offended somebody and there's, a, there's a, a sin that needs to be dealt with, then let's go to Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew 18. Let's deal with it biblically. And then we're, what we're going to do, Paul, Timothy, what we're gonna do is we're going to do it to the point of restoration. That's what the word rebuke has to do with, restoration, to call it out, to restore. Did you know that any time sin is called out in the word of God, it's for the purpose of restoring? Why is your sin called out before God? For the purpose of repentance. Why is my sin called out before God? For the purpose of repentance. It's all about restoring. So in all of this, Paul just simply helps Timothy understand the new responsibility. The pastor has a responsibility to lead the people as God leads and they and the people have responsibility of taking care of the pastor. And you know what? Go back to uh, that last thought right there. The pastor having the responsibility to lead and the people having the responsibility to take care of the pastor. All of it, Paul is simply saying, is for the purpose of the church accomplishing the work of God. Now, <clears throat> let me close with this this morning. Every one of us, you've been out in the community and you've seen and I've seen the, uh, the dysfunctional families. You know, you know, you listen, You've been out there and you've seen the mom, the, the husband and wife with the kids and everybody's arguing. You know, you're standing at the grocery line or Walmart or something and like the people in front of you, he's like, no, we're not gonna do this. She's like, you always talk to me like that. And the kids are like, mom, like, shut up. Don't do it. And they're just, and they're just going boom, 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 all at each other. How many of you, you've seen it? Question. When you've seen the dysfunctional family or you've seen the, the family where the kids are just arguing I mean, they're going at it, and mom and dad are just kind of oblivious. And the kids are punching each other and spitting at each other. I mean, we've seen those dysfunctional families. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you walked up to them and said, excuse me, could I come to your house today? <laughs> like, I would, I would love, I would love to eat a meal with you. I would love to be a part of your family. In all honesty, no. No, you don't do that. Why? Because it's dysfunctional. You're not gonna try to join yourself with a dysfunctional family. However, when you see the family that's kind of getting along, the husband's opening the door for the wife, the kids are respectful to the parents, the parents are respectful to the kids. When you see them, you're probably not gonna invite yourself over 
but you're more likely to want to talk to them. And if you, were in a, if you were a child putting yourself up for adoption, which family would you choose? Dysfunctional or functional one? The functional one. Why? Because they get along. Question. When you got saved, you and I were put into the family of God. What do you think a lost person wants to be a part of? A dysfunctional family of God or a functioning one? Functioning. Why? Because we're getting along. No wonder Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. No wonder that Paul then said, hey, let me help you get along. New relationships, treat each other like family. A new regard, look beyond yourself. A new responsibility, pastor, lead, and church family help take care of the pastor. Why? Because when we're doing this, we become a picture of a functioning family of God. And only God knows the influence that happens when God's people truly get along. But maybe you're here this morning and the reason you can't get along with God's people is because you're not one of God's people. I wanna ask you this question. Are you a child of God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? Do you know for certain that heaven is where you'd spend eternity? Listen, if you're here today and you don't know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity, the whole reason Jesus died was to bring you into the family of God. He died to give you forgiveness and to bring you into his family as an adopted child. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior this morning, you could leave knowing for sure you're going to heaven by asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come into your life. If you don't know him as your savior, I encourage you to make that decision today. If you do know Christ as your savior, will you make the decision, God, now that I'm in the family, help me get along. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed and we're gonna pray and have a time of invitation. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you'd help us this morning, help us to get along, help us to understand the new relationships that we've been given. Help us, Father, to see that uh, you want us to look beyond ourselves to others and the view that the need of the widows and those who are in need in, in our church. And then, Lord, that you would help us, God, to uh, um, just help us to realize, Father, the new responsibility, the pastor to lead and the people to help follow. Bless the invitation time now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.